Hello, sinners, saints, brothers, and sisters. I am so glad that you're here for another episode where we will inevitably explore our joy, shake our fists, and try to find our way in the midst of this chaotic world. Sinner Saint Sister really hopes to remind people that you are never, ever alone. So if you like today's episode, please share it with a friend. Maybe share it with your Bible study. Leave a review and like and subscribe. Look for extras on YouTube at youtube.com slash Allison Sullivan. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center Saint Sister. I went to a really big high school. We were a thousand strong when we were freshmen, and then somehow, by the time senior year rolled around, we were down to seven-something. Survival of the fittest is brutal, I guess. I did fine. Mostly. Hardly. Not really. Let's be honest, I was a limping gazelle at the watering hole. I disguised my limp as a strut, of course. It's what gazelles do when in danger. And high school's dangerous. High school's brutal. What I get now is that it's supposed to be brutal. It's an old story, really. A story we grew up with. 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink. Brutal, right? I don't know why I didn't expect it or wasn't more prepared. The real bummer was that I was so busy with my strutting, not limping charade that I couldn't even for one second notice that everyone else was in the same kind of pain also. It's a shame. What camaraderie we could have had around that watering hole showing battle scars and comparing limps. But I needed to appear fine. It felt like a matter of life and death. Everyone else appeared fine. And so it went. I disguised my limp as a strut and it was the darndest thing. Everyone believed me. And everyone else's strut was pretty convincing as well. It feels a little silly to give this this much airtime, a drama in my teenage life, but truly at the time, I thought that it would be the end of me. My heart was broken, and my friends were scarce, and a hurtful rumor was running rampant. Sometimes rumors are like sparks off of a fire, light, flitting, mostly harmless and over before they start. And other times, if it's a rumor that people really want to gather around, they will nurture it and tend to it and add to it lest it not go out before all the fun is to be had. And not to be melodramatic or anything, but rumors like that are not harmless. They can be deadly. This rumor in particular, it was detailed, specific, brutal. None of it's appropriate to share here, but it would not die. The quiet halls stung the most as everyone, just like in every episode of 90210, would quit talking and make way for me as I walked by. Maybe lunchtime was worse. My lunch table became an awkward mess of a meal because I would go to sit where I always did, but it was obvious that I wasn't wanted there anymore. There were three seats between me and the next person. I can see now that people were afraid of me. They didn't want anything to do with what I was going through. One day, I was rushing to my class. I had figured out a way to meddle in my backpack after the bell and then rush to my next class at the very last minute so that I could minimize my time in the hallways. When a teacher grabbed me by the shoulder, pulled me into her empty classroom, she sat me down without much choice. She looked me hard in the eye and she said this. She said, hey, I know a little bit about what you're going through. I don't know everything. I'm willing to try to understand it better if you're willing to talk about it. But as it is, I don't have much advice except to say, hang in there. And I think you're doing a great job getting by during this impossible time. I, don't, I know it doesn't feel like it now, she said, 
But none of this BS, she said BS, matters. You'll see. Things are going to get so much better. You're going to meet new people who are thoughtful and mature and tenderhearted. You're not going to keep in touch with any of these people. She gestured with a large sweep of her arm. Not if you don't want to, she said. You're going to meet other artists. No one had ever called me an artist before. If you want, I am open and willing to help you brainstorm ideas of things that might help you right now. You know where to find me. And then she wrote me a tardy pass to my next class. We never spoke of it again. But I don't know that I had ever felt so cared for, seen, understood, fought for. In so many ways, at the same time, I felt like she saved my life. For whatever adolescent reason, I never shared what I was going through with my parents, who would have undoubtedly supported me if I gave them the chance to. But as it was, an astute professional with a knack for loving kids saw me in distress and used her gifts to love well when I desperately needed it. She gave me hope. Starting now, for nine months, teachers are with our kids more than we are as parents. It would be impossible to overstate their importance. They play a critical role in influencing our children's futures. In today's episode, TikTok star and everyone's favorite teacher, Josh Monroe, and Chris Field, one of my very favorite activists, come together to offer us many bright ideas how to better show appreciation for our heroes. Okay, friends, is everyone already following at Junk Gypsy and at The Wonder Inn on Instagram? If not, scoot on over. I'll wait. I have spent the last decade admiring the talent of Junk Gypsy. Clothes, boots, jewelry, antiques. They're a little hard to pin down, a little airless, a little mapless, throwbacks, visionaries, but definitely creative misfits. And I thought that I loved everything there was to love about Junk Gypsy, but then I went and stayed at their farmhouse, and now I am completely speechless. Almost. I wasn't completely sure when I was there I was in heaven, but then they gently tapped on the door in the morning and they brought me warm biscuits. Go, you guys. It would be so perfect for a girl's weekend. Go visit their store in Round Top. Go find their website at gypsyville.com. Follow them on Instagram at Dunk Gypsy and at The Wonder Inn. You won't be disappointed. Josh, I am so thrilled to have you on the show. My TikTok friend, um, this is such a treat. You have been such a source of gentle inspiration and um, just a catalyst to stop and think for a moment and put myself in someone else's shoes before enacting whatever knee-jerk response feels most appropriate. Um, you make videos on TikTok about your classroom, and it's really pretty simple because you're just talking to students, but they have taken the internet by storm, and <laughs> you're the teacher that everyone wishes they had because... You have this generosity about you, and it's a generosity that guides you to give a lot of benefits of a lot of doubts. Um, it's a generosity that places others' needs before or equal to your own. And it's a generosity that has you saying quick and easy yeses to being on your Internet Friends podcast. And I'm just so grateful. Welcome to the show. I'm delighted to have you. Well, thank you so much for having me. That was that was a very nice intro. I appreciate that. <laughs> of course. So if you could start by introducing yourself to the audience, will you tell us a little bit about what and who you love? Yeah. So uh, my name is Josh Monroe. I teach fifth grade in Omaha, Nebraska. First and foremost, I am a husband and a father. I have three amazing kids, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a one-year-old. So summer break right now is pretty <laughs> active. We're all yeah. over the place with 
with all that we're doing. Um, I've got two dogs. Most people don't know Bernie. He's our mm-hmm. Bernadoodle. Almost everybody that I know knows Nala. And they <laughs> know me because of her. Um, and, and yeah, that's me. I, I've been teaching. I'm going into my 11th year and I've been at the same school for all 11, but I've oh, been wow. at that school for 17 years because I was also a student there when <laughs> I was a kid. Wow. So I've, I've got, I've got this neat perspective of living the same life, life that, mm-hmm. that my students did. Yeah. Yeah. How wonderful. Um, okay. So I have to know, I imagine that this TikTok thing was a surprise. Um, it, I would, I would love to know how this all blew up for you. Um, how you feel about the process of it. Um, did you expect this at all? How are you feeling about it? What happened? <laughs> yeah. So I, I started TikTok March. So probably April of 2020, right after the world shut down and mm-hmm. schools mm-hmm. went to zoom. Um, my kids weren't coming to class and yeah. I, I say it over and over. I can't blame them because we're asking them to pick school over a day's worth of Fortnite or a day's worth of blank that, that isn't school. Uh, yeah. And so my kids always talked about TikTok that year. They were doing the whoa, they were doing all this stuff. And I finally said, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to make an account. I'm going to make some goofy videos with my dog, Nala, who comes mm-hmm. to school with me. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to show them at the end of class for kids that stayed the whole time. Oh. And kids came. And yeah. Wow. So now and I, we just did silly videos of like her hopping on my back and me doing some little dance to a song yeah. that they know or something. I don't know. It was, it was silly stuff. And they came and, and I was amazed by it. And at the end of the school year, I didn't even know how to check followers. I had a private account uh-huh. at that time. Uh-huh. I checked followers and I had like 54 or something like that. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, that's really cool. <laughs> and so I made it a public account and made a couple more videos. They, to me at that time, went big. And I was like, this is yeah. awesome. Let's keep doing it now. Yeah. Your star. <laughs> uh, so, so we kept doing it over the summer and once school started in 2021, I was scrolling through and there was a video of a kid sleeping in class. And the person that made the video walks over and taps on the desk and says, you're tired. I'm tired. We're all tired. It's time to wake up. We got work to do. And it just rubbed me the wrong way. And Mm -hmm. so I recreated that video on what I would do in my classroom, Mm -hmm. which was Hey, I understand that you're tired. Why don't you take that 20 minute nap? We'll get caught up with your work mm-hmm. later. Here's Nala. You can cuddle with her if you want. And I, I posted that at like seven in the morning. I don't check my phone when I'm at school for the most part. Came back once school was done and I had like over a million notifications from comments and likes and everything. Um, and people saying, what would you do if this happened? What would you do if that? And right. Some of, some of them, most of them I've experienced as a teacher. Sure. Some of them I play out as what would I do if that happened? And I, for, for me, since that time, that has been a great learning experience for me. Um, when somebody says, what would you do if this happened? And I make that video, I get real life feedback, right? Like yeah. what, 
but we want yeah. to give our students. So I, I get it 10 seconds later about how it's either really great or, or horrible. And yeah. So, well, like you, I started TikTok at the same time and it was really just being stuck at home with my children and we did it as a way to stay friendly with one another. You know, it was like, let's make some videos. And there was something about TikTok um, where people were coping through laughter. Um, whereas, you know, if Facebook was all about the rant and Instagram was all ab about the beauty, there was something about TikTok that was about the comedy that really worked for our family. And so similarly for us, um, it just kind of seemed to blow up one day. And it was a, it was a homeschool joke that my son and I made. And um, how many followers are you up to now, Mr. Monroe? Uh, 1.3 million. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Well, and the way that I came to know you was actually through that video. And actually, you just describing it right then and there made me teary all over again, because um, I can't really put my finger on it, but there's something about your tenderness. Um, I feel like the brilliant part of the way that you make your TikToks is that you, you're just looking into the camera as, and you are talking to a student. So all of a sudden your audience becomes your student. And so you console and you nurture and you empathize and you're looking into the camera when you do it and you're talking to me, you know, you've made me your student. And so there I am in my, with my younger self being, um, empathized with and nurtured and consoled. And it's really, really very powerful. Was that a choice you made that happened by accident? Yeah, it was, it was <laughs> total accident then. Um, like I said, the, the video that I saw was a point of view video. So the guy that the teacher that I watched make it, um, that's what he did. And so uh -huh. when I recreated it, I just said, I'm going to copy what he does, but I'm going to make it how I think school should look and feel. Yeah. yeah. Um, and because that one video did so well, that's that's what I based the rest of my videos on. And, and I look back on that video now and I cringe at it. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I didn't, I didn't know how to talk to the camera. I didn't know how to do any of that mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was all totally on accident. Mm. Um, so you mentioned you use your four-legged friend Nala to help you reach kids. Tell me about that decision and some of its fruit. So I remember when I was in high school, there was a teacher and I never had this teacher, but he would walk around the halls and have his dog. And I was like, that'd be really cool to be able to hang out with your dog all day. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then once I became a teacher, our school psych, she brought her dog. Mm. And I saw some of the benefits that her dog's name was Lola, that mm. Lola brought to our school. And so I, I talked to her for a while and said, hey, what what are some of the great things that Lola does for kids? And she explained like, they don't always want to talk to me, but they'll sit down and read a book with Lola or they'll mm -hmm. sit down and talk with her. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I, I like the sound of that. So I just asked my principal. Nala was, gosh, Nala was probably nine, 10 months at that time. I said, what if I train Nala? And there was a little bit of pushback. People, people always sure. ask, like, how how did you get Nala to do that? And I say, I really just asked, but there was a little bit of pushback with me um, not interacting every day with all of the kids. So B 
being in my own classroom for most of the day. Um, but I took some research to him and I said, here's some benefits that dogs mm. have in classrooms. Mm -hmm. And he agreed. <laughs> and, and so Nala and I worked towards her becoming nationally certified, which she is now. I keep looking over here because she's just, she's laying there taking a nap. <laughs> and so, so as I, as I always tell this story, I just look at her now and think about how far her and I have come. Yeah. And, and oh. I, I, I almost get teary eyed thinking about yeah. it. There's so, so many amazing things. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So we, we just asked, I, I trained her. We, we did the tests, we did the supervised visits. And for the last five years, I think maybe six, she's, she's been in fifth grade with me. <laughs> so um, way back when, this feels like a lifetime ago, but I actually got a master's um, teaching dogs how to help people with disabilities. So, or training dogs to help people with disabilities. And so I love animals more than people and I love people a lot, but um, <laughs> I would have like, I would have really fought um, to be in your classroom. Um, but I, I set up this program. It was a, a nonprofit where we used to live again. This was before kids and feels like a lifetime ago, but um, I was bringing shelter dogs into the prison system. This was before there was like a dogs in jail show on, on Bravo on every channel or whatever. Um, <laughs> um, but I was bringing dogs into the, the local jail and having detainees train them. And then the detainee and the dog combo, they were matched with one dog. They would go into nursing homes and they would provide social therapy. Now, of course, there's a lot of pushback. I'm calling, you know, nursing homes and you know, giving them this idea. And they're saying, to be clear, you want to bring a stray dog and a prisoner into the most vulnerable population? And I'm like, kind of. And they're like, let's give it a shot. So, so, but th there was a lot of hit hits and misses, but one of the biggest hits was, um, it was really fun for me to partner the dog and the detainee. And so there was this big husky mix and he had scars all over him. Like he had lived a, a rough life. And then there was this, this big detainee and he had scars all over him. He had lived a rough life. And I, I put them together and it was the first day of class. And the detainee was not listening to me at all. I was teaching and he was not listening to all, but he was to me at all, but he was stroking his dog's head. He just loved this dog. And he went to get closer to the dog. And uh, the dog's name was Arnold. He was older. And he lifted his front paws into his lap. And when he did, the dog let out a yelp. He, um, it, it hurt him. He's old. He was older. And that detainee cradled the dog's head and pet him and looked into his eyes for a solid five minutes and apologized. And I didn't have the rapport with the detainee at that time to say, can you apologize like that to your wife? You know, can you apologize like that to your boss? Can you, you know, but the idea was, is that there was something about this dog that was a risk-free audience um, to try something hard. And then to think about generalizing that, you know, maybe if you can do this here, perhaps you can take that into another setting. And when training dogs, emotional regulation is everything because a dog just shuts down if you're angry. Um and so if you can emotionally regulate in order to get your dog to do what it needs to do, can you emotionally regulate in traffic? Can you, you know, so I just, it was um, really powerful for me and I believe in it so much. And I commend you for looking up the research and, and pushing back to push back and, and making it happen. I know that it must be so fruitful for your students. Yeah, they absolutely love it. And I see exactly what you're explaining. I've seen it in my classroom. Um, 
in different settings and, and in different ways, the probably the best story that I, I have with Nala is a little girl came into class in the morning just crying, obviously upset. I said, hey, are you okay? Do you want to talk? And she said, no, went and hid under a desk. Hmm. I always get teary-eyed thinking about this. <laughs> Nala, Nala walks over to her and she just grabs her and hugs her and, and sits there with her. And after about 15 minutes, we're able to have a great conversation yeah. and a great rest of the day. And it, yeah. it was a moment for me that I sit there and I think back to when I first saw the dog in my high school and think, oh, it'd be really fun to have a dog in the, like hang out with my dog all day. That's not what it's about. Like that's part of it, right? Is being able to hang out with Nala. I love her. But watching what she does for other people is so powerful yeah. and it's so, it's so moving and it's, it's different than anything I could do. Yeah. And so I just, I thank her for all that she does. Yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. So um, empathy, it's a really complicated thing and, you know, just being able to put yourself in someone's shoes in a lot of ways, it feels like a skill. And and how does someone teach someone else this very complicated intrapersonal, interpersonal skill? And you're teaching all of us how to teach that, which is just model it, just model it, just show people how it's done. And so you model how to be empathetic. And this must be a very conscious decision, again, um, to lead your classroom this way. What has inspired or catalyzed um, this approach to how you teach the whole human? Oh, well, I, I can think back to why I wanted to be a teacher. And um, his name is Tom Henry, who I now teach with. He loved me for who I was, right? Like he obviously taught me things. I remember absolutely nothing that he taught me though, but I do remember the way that he made me feel and he made me feel loved and worthy and probably beyond like more, more loved than I have ever felt outside of my mom and dad. Hmm. And so I carry that with me. Um, I'm also blessed to work with a lady named Sarah Loberg, and she's been at our school for the last 10 years, but she's been a huge mentor for me. And watching the way that she interacts with her daughter, um, her students, has, has helped me tremendously. But then I think back to how I was as a kid. I was not the smartest by mm -hmm. far. Um, and I remember the feeling of not being heard or not being seen and, and as, as the person I was um, or, or who I wanted to be, but instead being labeled as in math, I was in the low group. So, mm -hmm. you know, we all went to Mrs. Matthews in fifth grade, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and that looking back as a teacher now, it's hard because there's still some of those practices that are in place where we, where yeah. we want to label kids constantly and think that they're not going to pick up on stuff. Yeah. And so I put myself in their shoes like, Hey, Josh, do you remember what it was like every day walking to Miss Matthews class and yes. Brian Pencock was walking the other way oh. and you knew he was the smartest. Yeah. Um, oh. And so for me, it's, it's just the people that I put myself around has really helped me. And then remembering who I was as a kid and, and not being, not feeling like I was heard or seen for who I wanted to be. 
Yeah. Outside yeah. of a student. Cause I never saw myself as a student. I, I would, I would have never labeled myself as a reader or as yeah. a historian or a mathematician. Mm-hmm. I, I like sports, mm-hmm. but I wasn't seen like that on Monday through Friday from eight 30 to three 45. Right. Right. <laughs> so, I don't, I don't want my kids to, to feel that. And yeah. am I saying like, I'm not going to teach them math? No, but I want them to experience math in a way that is meaningful to them. Um, I think about me as a kid or my son, my, my oldest right now, who is super talkative and gets into some trouble with how much he wants to talk with other people. That is hard for people who have ADHD controlling that, that impulse of wanting to talk and wanting to socialize can be very hard. And so how do we harness that as teachers to help them achieve their full potential without punishing them for what society looks at as different? (laughs) Yeah. I was talking with my friend the other day and we were talking about, you know, just high EQ and um, it not being all that celebrated in a classroom necessarily. And uh, we were talking about empathy and we were talking about how empathy, it makes such good leaders, you know? And then I was lamenting to my friend, well, you know, the narcissists seem to be doing pretty good too. You know, like, I I mean, empathy is so much more beautiful to me. And I, and I was lamenting that it seems like as far as empathy and narcissism go, they kind of have equal opportunity when it comes to leadership. And she said, no, 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 that's different. You're, you're talking, you're talking about worthy leadership versus power. And those are two very different things. And I think that there are a lot of teachers that are using their power you know, they have power over this classroom um, and are not necessarily worthy leaders. And you have shown such worthy leadership. But I imagine um, that in this other camp, I'm not necessarily calling them narcissists. I'm just saying that they're they're using power to um, to lead. Um, I would imagine that they have opinions to your approach, um, whether it's parents or TikTok followers or other teachers in your building. Um what is some pushback you've received regarding your approach and what's your response to that? I I am blessed to work with amazing teachers. I People say in my comment section, like, you're the best teacher ever. I'll be like, I'm not even the best teacher. I'm probably the worst teacher in fifth grade at my school. Uh-huh. But um, I, I do get a lot of pushback from comments that I receive. I get told yeah. that I'm making society soft and Uh I am, I am hurting kids by not teaching them discipline. Uh And and, and sometimes that's hard. Like I've learned to not look at the comments as much, but every once in a while I do and, and I'll snap back. But for the most part, I have to remember that the people that leave those comments, one are hurting in some way themselves or two, I, I would say, and, or two, they're not in education or they're not Mm. parents and they don't understand Mm. what it takes to raise and help kids to be not just academically smart, but emotionally intelligent and, and in tune with the ways that they feel and how to approach different situations and what I'm feeling is valid, but just because I'm feeling anger right now, it doesn't mean that I get to lash out at this person. So how do yeah. I do that appropriately and have a civil discussion, you know? Yeah. So that, that, that's probably the hardest part is, is 
since I'm, I, I don't view myself as a public figure, I, I am a school teacher, yeah. um, getting some of the comments about just how horrible I am for society. Yeah. Sometimes that's hard to, yeah, I hard to deal with. Yeah. And there are a lot of people that reject any idea of mercy because their world operates on exacts. And then it's like they become these blessing accountants, you know, constantly measuring who should get what or whatever. And so here you are, you know, doling out understanding all willy nilly. You know, here you are trying to understand bad behavior instead of punish bad behavior. And to them, it looks like something that's greatly unfair. And so, go ahead. Sorry, you talked about like the difference between power and being a good leader, right? Like Mm -hmm. I have power in my classroom, but Mm -hmm. am I using that power to subdue kids or Mm -hmm. am I using it to multiply the leaders Mm -hmm. that I have in my classroom? Yes. Awesome. Yeah. And so I I think that anytime you start comparing moral achievement, you know how there's like, there's kind of this sentiment that's like, you can't have what I have until you behave like I behave. And so anytime you start measuring these moral achievements to someone else and then, and then getting satisfaction from like any perceived discrepancy, right? It's like, I've performed better than you, therefore fill in the blank. And um, you can become enraged by anyone that's perceiving some undeserved blessing, you know, and here you are blessing everybody. So, um, and as, as a Christian, I have a lot to say about that because Jesus has like parable after parable. He kind of harps on it really, um, about grumbling in the face of kindness, you know? And, um, but for me, it's like, man, what a lack of joy, gosh, what a joyless way to live. So thank you for embracing that. Um, I would love to kind of get your take because this is quite a moment in time. Um, for teachers. We have a record high number of, of teachers quitting. We have teachers who desperately want to quit, but can't afford to, and are now returning to the classroom. Um, the responsibilities are growing and growing and growing, and the pay stays the same, which was never enough in the, in the first place. And um, it seems like here in Texas, at least, the solution that we have decided on or locally, whatever, is to just lower the requirements, to just lower the standards of what it takes to be a teacher. And this feels like a crisis. And I feel like it's going to get a lot worse before it gets any better. Um, can you tell us what teachers are up against and how we as community members or as parents can help lighten the load? Oh, What's most helpful to you? Okay, to me. Okay, because... It becomes hard for me to answer that question because then I generalize and and I just got a comment today about, oh, now you speak for all teachers. And I'm like, no, I'm just telling you my experience. Yeah. Um, gosh, what what is the hardest thing we're facing is, uh, I don't Being know. Being asked to, to be first responders. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, it feels like we're going down that road, right? Teaching it, kids it, to read it, over Zoom. I mean, <laughs> where does that <laughs> Part of me, part of me is like, I don't know where to start. And part of me is, I don't know how to word what I want to say. There's, there's so many things that are hard with teaching that people don't understand. And, And you hit on it. Like one, you start in kindergarten. I look at my, my son who was five when he started, like I was, I was expecting that teacher to teach him how to begin reading, how to begin math, how to learn to line up in line, how, mm-hmm. how to walk in the hallway, how mm-hmm. to do all of these things as well as protecting him now, right? Like if, 
his classroom is the first one after the office. So I am expecting her to protect him. Um, that becomes hard for me also as a teacher. Like that is not her job. That, that, is, that is my job. That is society's job is to make sure that my son is safe when he goes to school. It is not the lady who went to teach him how to read and to write and to walk in the hallway. Um, yeah. th- that's probably the hardest part of teaching right now, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is the place that we're in when we see school shooting after school shooting for the last 25 years and we don't really make any real changes and people argue, well, there's more security now and we have police, but, and I'm, Actually, I will. I will argue that police should not be in school. Um, there should not be guns in school. There, there should be laws in place that, that prevent people that should not have a gun. And there should be laws in place that prevent everybody from having assault rifles from having them. And we don't do that. Instead, what we do is what we're seeing right now is the pushback of, okay, well, how can we make security tighter? And that becomes very hard for us to handle and for us to carry. And then you see outside society, outside teacher society saying things like, well, you, you, could, you could carry a gun in your classroom. And that's when you know things are really messed up is when you want teachers to carry guns. Because yeah. I think about a couple of the people that I follow, and I'm, I'm definitely not saying they can't handle their own or, or anything, but... They're, they're females that are five feet tall. And if you think of, and they teach high school. So if you think about them teaching a, the six foot, six, five, six, six male that, that is enraged, that becomes an impossible task to ask them to carry. So that part is very hard. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. can speak and on real. that. And real. Yeah. It, it, yes, it is real. And I think that that's the part that people don't realize. And I was having a discussion. Like you're not with, making it up. You're not being overly dramatic. No, I mean, <laughs> no, for, for 25 years, that's, that's the reality that we've lived in. I was talking, talking to a teacher who a student asked, like, after Uvalde, like, what, what if that happened here? And the response was, there are millions of schools in America. The chances that it happens here are slim to none. And if you take statistically, maybe that's true. But then that was that conversation happened here in Omaha where there was a school shooting or, or down the street from my house, there, there was a mass shooting at a mall. Like we've had two of them here in Omaha in the last decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the, in our answers to them, they're, they're not satisfactory to, to children's safety, to teachers, to yeah. sustaining education. Yeah. There's just, there's chronic stress, the chronic stress of it all, the burnout, um, answering all of these mental health needs of students that where lockdown drills are part of the norm, you know, um, mental health needs in the middle of a pandemic. It's just, it's really, it feels like a crisis. We need to pay our teachers better. Um, What's something you're hopeful for, Mr. Monroe? I'm I'm going to I'm going to step back because you said we need yeah, to, sure. we need to pay our teachers better and we talked about mental health but before you asked that question we talked about lowering the standards of teaching like yeah all of these things don't mesh so when we go to what else is hard about teaching you want us to address this this and this but then you're going to in Arizona for instance in certain places they're saying you don't even need to graduate college like mm-hmm. 
what we're doing is we, we are setting ourselves up for failure and, mm-hmm. and not my failure and not my kids, but 20, 30 years down the road, we're going to be in a, in a very dark place with education. And, yeah. and that part scares me. Yeah. What am I hopeful for? I, I think that there are a lot of great people like you in this world that, that bring empathy to the forefront, that bring the importance of caring about kids and loving kids and seeing kids for who they are. I, I think that that is a great part that a, that a lot of people skip over because there are a lot of issues that, that we have to wrestle with. And I think we need to be loud for those issues too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think a lot of times people miss like me and somebody on the other side of any spectrum of me, what we probably want is very similar. Yeah. And I think that that brings a lot of hope. Yeah. If we learn how to see that. That doesn't mean, yeah. that doesn't mean that when you say something hurtful to me that I'm going to ignore it or, or that we should dust things under the rug. But if we can start to see that most of us do want what's best for kids, yeah. most of us do want what's best for humanity. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of great things that can happen. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, ho- I'm hopeful for that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. I just want to say there is, um, you know, you model empathy, but you also model a new brand of masculinity. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for your tender heart. Thank you so much. I can't imagine um, the freedom that students must feel in your classroom to express themselves. And I'm just certain that emotional intelligence is the beginning of the only way through, you know, just understanding how we feel, making space for all of the things that we're up against. You do such a beautiful job. Please don't ever um, quit making videos. And if it's ugly comments that that get in the way of that, like, help me help you delete them because... <laughs> <laughs> please, please make more. Keep it coming. Um, I can't thank you enough for for coming on the show. Any last words before we go? Thank you for those kind words. I I appreciate that more than you'll ever know. <laughs> well, God bless you. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. You were so, I couldn't believe how quick and easy it was for you to say, "Yeah, I'll do that." I'm like, get out of here. <laughs> so I think our TikTok people are going to love it, and I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Sinners, saints, sisters, do you need a speaker for your event? Do you need someone to lead your retreat? It would be all my joy to serve and spread God's love to you and the people you gather with compassionate leadership, Bible-based teaching, authentic life stories, and a lot of laughter at heart. You can reach me at sinnersaintsister at gmail.com. Chris, thank you so much for saying yes to be on the show. You are, well, you're a lot of things. You are a husband, you're a father, you're an author, you're a speaker, you're an advocate, you're a local hero. Um, you've been featured on the show, season five, episode seven. Everybody go check that out. Um, but today you're here because you're just a concerned community member and um, that really values teachers. And you have had great teachers shape you, and you're very interested in great teachers continuing to shape our future. And there are so many barriers to that, especially lately um, as we see this mass exodus in the teaching profession. There are so many wonderful teachers that are struggling with burnout among a host of other things. Um, so, Chris, you are you're a natural problem solver, and you have taken it upon yourself to get to the very bottom of these barriers um, so that we can work together to kick them out of the way. What have you learned? I know that you've done a ton of research. What are the problems? How do we solve them? 
Yeah, Allison, thank you so much for having me and for caring about things like this. This is these are the kind of things we need to care about because what I remind people all the time, 90% of children in this country are products of public education. And so it, it'd be probably impossible to name any other space that touches that many of our children. It's not right. churches. Yeah. Uh, there's probably more kids than that that don't go to pediatricians. <laughs> so it's not doctor. I mean, you think about wow. those public spaces, there's probably not a single one, maybe grocery stores, right? But there's no interaction at a, at a grocery store. And so you think about public education, the number of children that it touches, and you realize it's really the backbone of our society. I mean, there, there are no doctors, lawyers, business owners, inventors, scientists, social workers, authors, actors, or dreamers who were not first educated, hmm. that did not have someone mm -hmm. speak life into them and do that first math problem with them, help them discover the amazing human body. I mean, all of those things, they started somewhere. And we, don't, we, we are not who we become without having people pour into us. And the consistent theme is that educators have poured into us and are now pouring into our children. The problem is, as you mentioned, educators are leaving and they're leaving in droves. There are a number of studies you can Google and quickly find that teachers are leaving the classroom and the ones who are staying are thinking about leaving. Um, the, the numbers that I've seen is something like 70 to 80% of current teachers have considered doing something else. And I know there's always people who are kind of wondering if there's something else to do, but not usually 70 to 80% of, of a group of people. The other number that I thought was really telling and informative is I did a little survey of several hundred teachers around the country and 70% of the teachers I surveyed said they would not encourage a young person to become a teacher. And again, think about the way we pass down occupations, mm -hmm. the way we are champions for an occupation mm -hmm. we believe in yeah. that makes a difference. And, yeah. and I asked some teachers, I said, was there a teacher that encouraged you to be a teacher? And everyone said, absolutely. Mm -hmm. there, was, there was this one teacher. Well, when seven out of 10 teachers would not encourage a young person to become a teacher, that does not bode well for the next decades of life for educators and then for our grandchildren. I mean, who is going to be left to teach if all these teachers leave the classroom? And so it really boils down to a couple of things. And I'm not, I don't claim to be an expert. I'm passionate about this topic. My wife was a teacher. My grandmother taught for 31 years. I'm a product of public education. I now have four kids that are or will be in public education. So I care about this. It affects me personally. It affects you personally. It affects everybody. I'm not an expert. I am somebody who cares and I am somebody who's willing to ask hard questions and to mm -hmm. dig in deep. And so there's a couple of things that we've, that I've found that are really clear. Teachers do not feel appreciated. Mm -hmm. Teachers do not feel supported. Mm -hmm. Teachers do not feel like they're treated as professionals. And teachers do not feel like they're trusted to do their jobs. Compensation is important. There's no question. It was not as important as many of those other things that I just said. And frankly, that surprised me personally. Yeah. But the number one stressor that teachers told me, the number one thing that made teachers not enjoy their work was the work-life work -life balance, or rather the lack of work-life balance. 
teachers are working on average 55 to 60 hours a week during the school year. So think about teachers who are also parents and how much children sleep. There's not many hours left, waking hours left. So then when you really, if, if you're honest and you let yourself feel, which I'm working on doing with a great therapist right now, but if we're honest and we let ourselves feel, that means every teacher that's in a classroom with our kid is giving our child far more attention and energy than they are their own children. And they're doing it even though they're not feeling appreciated, even though they're not feeling supported, even though they're not feeling like they're treated like a professional, even though they're not feeling like they're trusted. I mean, that's a huge, huge sacrifice that they're making. And when you think about that, it's not hard to understand why teachers are wanting to leave the classroom. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in our own city where we live, you would have to teach more than 20 years to make $60,000 a year. By the way, let me tell you something else that it blows my mind. That's a terrible number, by the way. Let me tell you something else that blows my mind. First year teacher gets the exact same number of days of paid time off as a 30-year teacher. Tell me another industry where you do not accrue mm. vacation and sick time. Mm -hmm. it not, I don't mean it rolls over. Because a tiny number doesn't exist to roll over. There's nothing left at the end of a year if you only have 10 days. By the way, that includes maternity leave. That includes bereavement leave. That includes sick right. days. That includes vacation days. That includes mental health days. That includes taking your kids to doctor's appointments. There's a half day right there. Your kid gets sick. Sure. So, so we're not honoring our veteran educators. Mm. Certainly, mm. we're treating them like beginning educators. Mm -hmm. And the job has just gotten worse. I, I've had so many teach. I had a teacher cry this week. I asked a teacher, a, a mutual friend introduced me to a veteran teacher. And I started asking her some questions. And before she could, I gave her my introduction of why I cared. And before she could even answer my question, she started crying. And she said, mm -hmm. no one's ever asked me what it's like to be a teacher. <laughs> so I've been teaching almost 20 years. She literally crying. I we were sitting in a restaurant. And she's crying. She says, I'm sorry. I've never had anyone ask me what it feels like to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. And so we've got a serious problem. And I hope everyone listening realizes that the problem is that we're going to pay now or we're going to pay more later. Mm -hmm. So we can either choose that we're going to acknowledge and address this problem now, or we can just hope that it changes. But hope is not a strategy. And we're going to end up with a serious crisis in a few years where kids are going to be having to sit in front of computers or something and be taught by, you know, 50, 100 kids being taught by one person. I mean, it's, it's going to be a huge problem. So let me get to some of the solutions because I don't want to be a person who says, hey, we have a huge problem. Now, yeah. so let me know how it works out. Right. So this is not exhaustive. This is not comprehensive. And this is going to range from things that we, we can be doing right now today to things that are gonna take some hard work over the next couple of years. Yeah. School finance is very complicated. Mm -hmm. I think it's absurdly complicated on purpose. The fact that somebody who's intelligent and can run multiple businesses and international charities can't quite wrap my mind around where school funding comes from, that's not okay. That's a, yeah. that's a public problem. We should be able to understand how schools get money and why they get money and where that money comes from. We yeah. deserve that. It should be able to be summarized in one piece of paper. 
Yeah. Okay. But that's not something we can change right now. That's not something we can change today. Okay. We need to be fighting for better comp for our teachers because they deserve it. And because they're going to leave without it. Because if you work 55 to 60 hours a week and you have to stay in a job for 20 years to make $60,000, that is a huge problem. And by the way, before I even go on to some of those solutions, if you know a retired educator, check in on them. My grandmother that taught for 31 years, her Texas retirement system payment, which supersedes and replaces social security, $2,700 a month, Allison. Yeah. Yes. $2,700 a month yeah. is her thanks for teaching for 31 years in public schools. That is literally, if it weren't for my grandfather and his work and their retirement and savings, that is literally not enough money to live anymore. That is right. far below the, that is poverty for somebody who gave themselves to a yep. very meaningful uh, occupation and profession and calling for, for 20, uh, for 31 years. Okay. Okay. Here's things that we can do right now this year to make teachers feel more supported and to, to give them, pull them off the edge. Because honestly, I think that's where we are right now is we have yeah. so many teachers who are on the edge. What they need to see this year is they need to be given hope that we care. And so all of these things, if you're a naysayer and kind of a negative Nancy, and you're like, well, that's not going to solve the real problem. Like, I understand. We've got teachers that are at nine and nine and a half right now on stress level. We need to pull them back to an eight and we need yeah. to give them hope that over the next few years, we're going to do the work to get them to a seven or a six. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The first thing we have to, if you have kids in public education, love your kids, teachers this year. And I don't mean on teacher appreciation week. I mm -hmm. mean, all year long. Mm -hmm. I wish every single kid in public education or private education for that matter, any child who has a teacher, I wish every single kid would walk into school the first day of school with a handwritten note from the parent to say these two things. We see you mm. and you are not alone. <laughs> what if every single child who walked in and handed their teacher a note, the teacher got 22 notes. <laughs> On the first day of school, it mm. said, we see you mm -hmm. and you are not alone. Every teacher would be weeping totally. that day because those yeah. are two messages they do not hear and they yeah. do not believe. Every single one of them, okay? Love them all year long. Write them notes regularly. Write them random emails to just say, I see you. Your job is hard. What you're doing matters. You are literally shaping and forming the next generation. There are children sitting in your classroom that feels safer in your classroom than anywhere else they'll go yes. this entire week. Yeah. There are children who feel seen by you, who feel heard by you. There are children who would be broken if it were not for your magical ability to put them back together every morning. You are seen and we are here for you. We will fight for you and we're not going anywhere. And we will cause as much noise and uncomfortability for the leaders as needs to happen. Because right now leaders are uncomfortable with change. They need to be made more uncomfortable to not change than they are to change. Amen. Yeah. And, and that's not going to happen magically. And by the way, you know who can't advocate for themselves is the freaking teachers. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many teachers dozens who have reached out to me and said, Hey, all the stuff you're saying, I am jumping up and down, clapping in my living room, but I will not comment on your post publicly because I'm afraid wow. to. Yeah. Wow. Because this is my job that's at stake. And I don't want to get a mark for my district or for my superintendent. And that's absurd. I mean, that's ridiculous. Okay. That's the first thing. 
love the hell out of your kids' teachers this year. I mean, be obnoxious in how well you love them and how consistently you love them and just beat this drum. We see you, you are not alone. That should be an anthem of every single public school and private school. If you have a child in education, that should be an anthem. Second thing is talk positively about educators in front of your kids. Mm-hmm. Just think about this small thing. Your kid comes home from school. Oh, you won't believe what Mrs. Sullivan did today. Johnny dropped his pencil and she started yelling at him and she got so upset with him. Usually as a parent, we might say something like, oh gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Like, I bet that was really intense. Maybe even if we've been in therapy or we know therapists say something like, well, how did that make you feel? Right. And that's all great. We should do all that. But how about this? Man, Miss Sullivan has a really hard job. I mean, I know that was probably hard and I want to hear more about that, but think about all of the things Mrs. Sullivan does every single day for kids like you and for kids like John. I mean, it's a hard job. And it sounds like from what you're telling me, um, it might've been a really hard day for her today. And I wonder what else was happening that we don't know about that makes her life really hard. Cause I have four kids. Sometimes I struggle to be patient and loving to all of you. And Mrs. Sullivan has 22 kids. I mean, that's a lot of kids to love and to be patient with every single day. What if we wrote her a note? Because she might really need it tomorrow saying, thank you for being a great teacher for me. And if we just turn that conversation in our own homes Mm -hmm. around how much we honor educators and that we begin to speak about them like we do about policemen and like we do about firemen and like we do about pastors in our lives. Like we laud those people as heroes Mm -hmm. and we sometimes seem to forget about our kids' teachers, you know? And so let's talk more positively about the educators in our life. Let's honor them. Let's bless them. Let's show our children through our words and our actions that we think teachers are heroes and that the work they do makes a huge difference. Let's talk about our own teachers to our kids. Let me tell the, my kids the stories of Mrs. Walmack in second grade and Mrs. Hummel in fourth grade and the teachers that even though I was completely and totally out of control in every way, the teachers who made space for me and never made me feel like I was too much mm. because they're few and far between at times uh, because I was quite difficult, but those stories are there. And I still can name every teacher I had kindergarten through 12th mm-hmm. grade, every yeah. single one. Yeah, I can't name every coach I had. I can't name every Sunday school teacher I had. Yeah, I can name every single teacher I had K through 12. And that's not an accident. That's because they deeply formed me, mm-hmm. whether I knew it or realized it or not. Um, yeah. The other thing we can do, almost every single district is having a huge crisis around substitute teachers. Sign up to be a substitute teacher mm. in your district. I'm doing that this year. I'm going to take a couple of days a month to go into my kids' schools. My kids are excited about it. They're still at the age where I think I'm moderately interesting and cool, and they know I can rap if things get really sideways and I need to validate myself. And so it's like, yeah, they think that's cool. So prove it. Prove it, Chris. (laughs) Where's the beat, man? This is great. So it's like, this is a simple, simple, simple thing for us, for us to do. And We can sign up to be a substitute teacher and we can make sure there's enough subs because right now a lot of teachers don't even have enough subs to feel like they can take a sick day. Or you know what happens when there's no sub? One teacher gets two classes. 
So now one teacher has 40 kids for the day. Come on, that's absurd. She doesn't get any extra compensation, by the way. Also stupid, by the way. If, if, I, if you don't get a sub and another teacher has to take all those kids for one day, she should get that $100 the sub was going to get, by mm-hmm. the way. Yeah. That's, that's ridiculous. That's a simple change every school district should make. Write that check to the teacher. It doesn't just disappear as in we didn't have to pay that day. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So another thing, join your, your PTO, your parent-teacher mm-hmm. organization. Learn about what's happening at your school. I like to take it even a step further from that. Just email your principal, your kid's principal straight up and say, I'm a champion, I'm an ally, I'm an advocate. Anytime you need something, let me know. One of my kid's principals texted me this morning with a need. Uh, hey, we have this thing we need. We don't really have the, it kind of weird where the funds would come from. I said, say no more. Send me a bill. That's it. Done. I don't even care what it is. I don't even need to know the budget. I trust you. You're a freaking professional. I support you. And, and I can't tell you what I think that means to that principal to know she has people, she can say, we have this small problem. And I'm saying, that's, I don't need to know anymore. Where do I need to be? What do I need to do? And it shouldn't be just be one, two, three people. It should be 50 or hundred people in every school that are doing that. Right. Um, go to your school board meetings, mm-hmm. listen to what they're talking about, listen to what they're saying. Uh, I've made a conscious choice not to run for local school board, even though a lot of people have encouraged me to do that. I feel like there are things I can do outside of the system that would be difficult for me to do inside the system. And so I'm choosing that intentionally, but the school board is working hard. They care about kids. They care about yeah. teachers. That's a thankless compensationless job, but mm-hmm. you need to understand what's happening in school board meetings. What are they saying? What's real? What's honest? Parents get a chance to speak or community members can speak at any school board meeting. The last few that I've been to, nobody speaks. Uh, make yourself, you make your voice heard. Those are public. That goes on public record. They're usually recorded and put on YouTube. And it's super meaningful. Last time I spoke at a school board meeting, I had dozens of teachers text and message me to tell me thank you. Yeah. And that they felt seen and appreciated. Uh, the last thing I'll say is we really do need to learn how school finance works. We need to understand how, uh, what is limiting compensation for teachers? Mm-hmm. What is limiting them getting more than 10 days of paid time off, even when they've been a teacher for 30 years. We need to understand why teachers are not getting stipends. We need to understand why some of our schools are so low on custodial staff that they're locking some of the bathrooms because they don't have enough custodians to clean them, which is forcing all of the kids to use just a few bathrooms. I mean, these are not out there problems. Um, These are here. You know, we, we have a famous grocery store here in Texas, uh, as you know, Allison, H-E-B, which is renowned and it's sort of a hero in its own life for some of the cool things that they do around the state. You, know, you start at $15 an hour now if you become a bagger at H-E-B. So 16-year-old kid, 15-year-old kid, first job, 15 bucks an hour. If you're a paraprofessional in a school, really the glue that holds the school together, in my district, you make between 11 and $13 an hour. Wow. That, I mean, that, that is just, what else is there to say? We should just end the yeah, podcast. Just totally cut me off. And there's yep. nothing else to say. I mean, 100%. that's stupid. I mean, yeah. that is stupid. And these are adults yeah. who are doing hard freaking work yeah. and they're doing incredible special ed work. They're cleaning up kids' messes literally and their body messes when they can't control it. And they're filling in the gaps for teachers and they're making teachers lives better and and schools do not function without paraprofessionals and they're getting paid 11 to 13 dollars an hour i mean that is the height of absurdity and it is disrespectful 
totally. To teachers is disrespectful to paraprofessionals. I know of one paraprofessional here in my town. He's co-parenting a child. He's paraprofessional working with a PE teacher class and he's paying his way through school and he's working full-time at a school with PE and he's, his take-home pay every two weeks is less than a thousand dollars. And it's like this kid, in spite of all those odds, you know what he's getting his degree in? He's getting his degree to become a public educator. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. We need to honor that kid. Yeah. He's not a kid. He's an adult. We need to honor that young adult and validate his career choice and say what you're doing matters. And we're going to make sure you have a lifetime where you can actually take care of your own family right. and where you can find work-life uh, balance. So those are just a few of the things we can do. Think about anything that would make a teacher's life hard. And if you can fill in just a tiny bit of that margin to give them just an, an iota more of work-life balance, um, you're going to fill a need for them this year that's going to create space that they need that they don't even know that they needed. And then let's work on the system that is broken and not justify it as the way it's always been, but let's build yes. a better system. Let's create a previously unimagined future. And in 10 years, we can look back and say, gosh, you remember when teachers used to have to this, thank God we spoke the truth and spoke right. up and showed up for them. And now we have this new and better truth. So I think those are just a few of the things uh, people can do. And teachers will tell you more. Ask your yeah. favorite teachers what you can do to make their life easier. And they'll tell you if you ask. Thank you so much, Chris. You are a passionate disruptor. And I'm, I'm grateful for it. Our community is grateful for it. What I've learned from you today is that there's a problem that's only going to get worse. And that there are things that we can do here and now to take that 10 and just steadily lower it. You've given us great marching orders. Um, these are all so manageable. Um, thank you a million times over for your leadership. Um, yeah. Where do we follow along, Chris? Because you do a lot of cool things. Yeah, so on the socials, I'm at Disruption Chris, and I'm usually stirring up trouble on different uh, platforms. So love to meet anybody who's listening that wants to do some good. Right on, good trouble. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so, so much for listening. Thank you for being here. A very special thank you to all guests and sponsors. A really special thank you to Taylor Schroll for mixing and editing. For more content, you can head over to Instagram at Allison M. Sully and TikTok at Sullivan Family TikTok. You can also check out Forte Catholic and subscribe there where you have a 25% chance of hearing me co-host. I am so grateful for all of the love and support that we offer each other here. Today's show was a production of Allison Sullivan in conjunction with the Forte Catholic Podcast Network. For more great Catholic podcasts, head on over to ForteCatholic.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.